All right, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're gonna be looking at verses 24 through 29. And the title is Faith Like Moses. Chapter 11 is looking at many different um, people, men and women in the scriptures. Uh, So inspired of the Holy Spirit, the author who's not named for the book of Hebrews is led to talk about certain individuals. And um, we've considered Abraham and Sarah, um, some of the other patriarchs, Joseph, um, Moses' parents in our last study. We're going to be looking at Moses himself. And God is saying, look at these people. These are people whose faith should be emulated. This was a church that was being pressed. They were suffering reproach for their, for their faith in Jesus Christ. And some were thinking about um, going back to the temple and just walking away from the church and faith in Jesus. And God says, but think about these. Look at these people and the faith that they had. So the exhortation is not to let your faith Waver. We're going to look at six different aspects. So if you're taking notes, you should have six points of Moses' faith. Let's read verse 24 and 25. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So our first point is that faith denies sin. Moses was given up. Uh, very early on in his life, was put in a basket. If you are not familiar with the story, you can read there in the, uh, in the book of Exodus, the opening chapters, and get the background. Um, because there was a decree that all children that had been born by the Israelites needed to be put, thrown into the Nile and drowned. The parents put them in a basket, floated it by um, uh, the, the women in Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh's daughter ends up receiving Moses and raises him as her son. And so this is what's being refused to and says he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter. Now, born to Amram and Jochebed, but was raised in the court of Pharaoh by Pharaoh's daughter. And what we read here is that that Moses embraces the calling of God upon his life and the plan that God had to save, right? To save the nation of Israel and eventually fulfill the promise given to Abraham that he would make them a great nation. Now, faith, this is the faith that he had. And Stephen mentions that he had this kind of faith early on. In Acts 7.25, we read, For he supposed, Moses supposed, that his brethren Israel would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. So Moses knew, he had this faith that God was raising him up to be a deliverer. That God was going to save the people. And he stepped out into this, and by faith he did that. Now, when you think about a guy like Moses or Abraham um, or many of the other people in the Old Testament, and you compare that to us, think about how much information we have. Think about the full revelation of God for salvation given to us in Scripture. They they didn't have all of that. They didn't see where all of this was headed. Um, Sometimes they were prophesying, we're going to read in a minute, and they didn't even know what it was fully about. But you do. You and, and, and we and all believers have the word of God. There's, no, there's not another chapter coming. It's not that this is a full explanation of God because God is much larger than, than a mind can comprehend, but everything we need to know 
about God for salvation and how to live life has been given to us. To whom much is given, much is required. So he embraced God's plan. He had faith and he gave up the family name. Giving up the family name meant you're giving up a ton of privileges as a prince of Egypt. He says, nope, I don't need it. I don't want it. I want to be identified with the the people of God. Knowing the calling and plan for his new life, Moses was able to say goodbye to the old life. Sound familiar? This is something all of us do when we come to faith. We make a decision to put, you know, to trust Jesus to redeem us, to save us. And we, we say goodbye to the old way of living, to the fleshly way of living. And we embrace the plan that God has for our life. And we walk in that new life. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be walking in a new life. You're going to be walking against the course of this world. You're going to be confronted with things that your flesh wants, that God says, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to live differently. And you and I will need to embrace it. He says, or we read here at the end of verse 25, that he... Um, chose to suffer rather than enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. And, and this is something that's important. I think sometimes people just think the pleasure of sin. But he qualifies that pleasure of sin, right? What's the modifier? It's passing. Sin and the pleasure of it is passing away. It's not going to bring you pleasure for long. It is short-lived. Sexual immorality, materialism, the quest for position and power, it can, it can exhilarate you for a moment and maybe for a season of your life, but in the end, it will pass away. 1 John 2.17 says, And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Moses got that. Moses understood 1 John 2.17. He says, My position in, Israel, in Egypt and the sin of it is that will prevent me from answering the call of God upon my life. So I'm going to choose to suffer and not allow the passing pleasure of sin to hold me. It's temporary. You can have fun with it for a while. It's not that the Bible does not teach that sin is not pleasurable. Oh, it's pleasurable for a season. And then its end, it brings corruption. It brings death. And this is what we have to be able to have faith for. A man or a woman of faith can look and say, I will deny sin because I want to answer the call of God. That's my faith. And I also know that where this sin is going to end. Faith is living for eternity and not living for the moment. Now listen, let's just move away from the things of, of, of faith for a moment. Things that relate to salvation. That's a principle that even the world gets and understands. They know that there are some things that if you live for the short term, you're going to forfeit the long-term benefit. So, you, I mean, this is something like in, in finances. This is something maybe that in, you know, in sports and athletics. And people will train and they will say no to a lot of things that would be enjoyable that they might achieve something else. They, they get that, they understand that, and those types of decisions are made every day. We're going to make a decision for the long term. It's going to be hard right now, but we'd rather have a little difficulty now so that in the long term we can have the benefit. Well, that's a true principle in life, 
in business, in many different other areas, but it is first and foremost a true principle as it relates to faith. And we need to trust the Lord and not be caught up in that which is going to last for just a second, forfeiting that which will last forever. Still pondering verse 25 and then moving into verse 26, we read, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. When Moses chose to deny his flesh, he, it meant that he was choosing to identify with the hardship of the people of Israel. And this is termed in the phrase, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Maybe you think the reproach of Christ. I mean, this is like 1446 you know, uh, BC. I mean, Jesus isn't coming around for 1,500 years. Right. But remember this principle that we studied in Hebrews, that the Old Testament law, the sacrifices, they were a shadow of things to come. But who is the substance? Christ. So they foreshadowed. Now, as they worshiped in the temple, they didn't fully understand that Jesus was the substance, but yet God, seeing their faith in what was revealed to them, gave them the whole package deal, <laughs> okay? They got all the benefits of what they didn't know what was coming. Now, we sit with the full revelation, but it's this way, that when Moses said, I am going to identify with the Israelites who are suffering and are slaves, and I'm going to be their deliverer, he knew this was going to put him in the place where he would be reproached for that decision. And the writer of Hebrews calls it the reproach of Christ. The point being, this group of people was thinking about backing away from Jesus and the day in which they lived, um, here in the book of Hebrews, that people, that group, because they were, suffer they were suffering reproach and persecution. And I thought, man, it would just be easier just to go back to the temple. And the writer's like, think about this. Moses chose to suffer the reproach of Christ. If you want to be like Moses, then you need to suffer the reproach of Christ as well. You need to endure the trials that you're facing. So faith chooses hardship. Faith following the Lord says if following you means it puts me in opposition to this world and suffering, then I will choose to do that. Um, again, 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11, that's that passage that, that talks about how they didn't understand um, at times in which they wrote, in which they prophesied, all that it meant. That when we read, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So that's, that's what Moses is doing. He knows that there's something that God wants to do, but he doesn't understand all that he is stepping into. But he did know that choosing to support the people of Israel was going to put him in direct conflict with the man he would have known as his grandfather, the Pharaoh. Or at this point in time, it might have been another brother-in-law type. So he realized, he understood the Egyptians. He understood what this choice was going to make. Now, listen, for us, we don't have a lot of that going on, right? Right? We don't have a lot of, you know, direct um, 
physical suffering that takes place. Although when I was at this pastor's conference, um, Pastor Mike McClure, who pastors in San Jose, Calvary Chapel San Jose, um, much like us during uh, COVID, they, didn't, they did not shut down. They continued to meet. And they ended up with fines um, at one point of like five to six million dollars for holding church service. And they've gone through many different court cases. It's down to somewhere, I think you said like three million. Um, and so they've threatened him with jail time. They've threatened him with taking his home away. Um, you know, when he, he said that, um, you know, his lawyer said be prepared to go to jail after this hearing. So listen, that, that's kind of a rare thing that takes place. These court cases are still going on. I think it's about to go uh, to the Ninth Circuit Court. So you can pray for that fellowship and for uh, Michael McClure and the lawyers that will be representing them there. Every now and then something like that happens, but that's not usually what takes place. But that is the norm throughout church history, isn't it? The norm is that if you're gonna follow Jesus, then you're going to suffer. You're, when you name the, the name of Jesus and you choose to live for him, people are going to be offended by that. People are going to attack you for that. They will steal your possessions. They maybe even take your life. They'll take your freedoms. They're going, it's going to be difficult. And I, and I wonder, if you knew and I knew today that coming here to church would result by the end of the week of us losing our jobs, our homes, our possessions, and maybe even freedom, what would our choice be? Good answer. That is a Sunday school answer and is also the right answer. <laughs> Jesus is the answer that we should make. I want to read to you. It's a full page, so if you're feeling a little sleepy, pinch yourself. I want, to, I want you to hear this. How many of you have ever heard the account of the martyrdom of Polycarp? Raise your hand. Okay. You guys are going to be blessed um, as you hear this. This... Um, Polycarp was a, a, was a guy who was a bishop at the church of Smyrna, and he was a disciple of the uh, Apostle John. And so this is one step removed from um, uh, John, uh, the next link. And he is um, 86 year old, years old at the time that this account takes place, and they're going to ask him to take some incense, put it on the altar, and say, Caesar is Lord. The language is swear by the genius of Caesar, but it's the idea is just like it's worshiping Caesar, Caesar worship, emperor worship. And this is an account of what takes place. This is what happens and has happened down through the ages. Now, this is not scripture, but I do believe it is an accurate historical um, record of what took place. So we're going to pick up the story after he's already been arrested. But when the magistrate pressed him hard and said, swear the oath and I will release thee, revile the Christ. Polycarp said, 86 years have I been his servant and he has done me no wrong. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? But on his persisting again and saying, swear by the genius of Caesar, he answered, if you suppose vainly that I will swear by the genius of Caesar as thou sayest, and feignest that thou art ignorant of who I am, hear thou plainly, I am a Christian. But if thou would learn the doctrine of Christianity, assign a day and give me a hearing. The proconsul said, prevail upon the people. 
But Polycarp said, as for thyself, I should have held thee worthy of discourse. For we have been taught to render as is meet to princes and authorities appointed by God such honor as does us no harm. But as for thee, I do not hold them worthy that I should defend myself before them, before the angry mob. Whereupon the proconsul said, I have wild beasts here and I will throw you to them except you repent. And listen to his response to this old man who had walked with Jesus. He said, call for them. For repentance from better to worse is a change not permitted to us. But it is a noble thing to change from ungodliness to righteousness. Then he said to him, again, I will cause you to be consumed by fire if you despise wild beasts, unless you repent. But Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire which burns for a season and after a little while is quenched? For you are ignorant of the fire of the future judgment and eternal punishment which is reserved for the ungodly. But why delay? Come, do what you will. These things then happened with so great speed, quicker than words could tell, the crowds forthwith collecting from the workshops and the baths, timbers and logs, and the Jews more especially assisting in this with zeal, as was their wont. The firemen lighted the fire, and a mighty flame flashing forth were to him who was given to see, saw a marvel, yea, and we were preserved that we might relate to the rest what happened. So we are eyewitnesses. The fire making the appearance of a vault, like a sail of a vessel filled by wind, made a wall about the body of the martyr. And it was there in the midst, not like flesh burning, but like a loaf in the oven, or like gold or silver refined in a furnace. For we perceive such a fragrant smell as if it were the wafted odor of frankincense or some other precious spice. So at length the lawless men, seeing that the body could not be consumed by fire, ordered an executioner to go up to him and stab him with a dagger. And when he had done this, there came forth a quantity of blood so great that it extinguished the fire. Now listen, it's not scripture, but it's one of the oldest accounts we have of a martyrdom um, taking place. It's not the only one. But, you know, I, I, I kind of condensed the story. If you want to read the story, go to Fox's Book of Martyrs and look up Polycarp. You can read the whole thing. But this is, this is what men and women have, have chose to do throughout their life is I'm going to be connected with Christ. And that means I'm not going to embrace sin. And if need be, I will even embrace suffering so that I might be aligned with my Lord and with my King. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says, don't be surprised by the fiery, fire, uh, uh, fiery trial which has come to try you as some strange thing. This is normal. What we, listen, listen, what we experience in America is not normal Christianity. It's not normal. Suffering is normal. Jesus said, I suffer. You're not better than me. If they didn't like me, they're not going to like you. You're going to be, you know, delivered up. And, and, and believers down through the ages have chosen to stand confidently. Another account that I, I'm, that I don't have it written out, but I remember hearing it, was there is, a, and this is in recent days, maybe 20 years ago or so, 
There's a woman over in Vietnam who was known as just a, a powerful evangelist. And um, many, she would go in and many people would get saved and put their faith and trust. And um, she knew that they were looking for her and they wanted to take her life. Um, but it didn't slow her down. She went into this one village to share. As she began to share, they apprehended her. And, um, I, and, and they took her. They ended up stripping. They roughed her up. They ended up stripping her down of all of her clothes. And they stood her out in front of this village completely naked. And she began to preach the gospel. She didn't hold her head down. She didn't f- begin to cry. She had no shame. She boldly stood there filled with the Holy Spirit and preached the gospel. And all of their heads began to fall. And, they, and a revival broke out and people began to get saved. This is what happens and has happened. And listen, is happening. And for Moses, he's like, I will identify with that. And you think about how little he knew and how much we know. We should never be afraid to step into that. Suffering is not a reason to back down. Suffering, if we have faith in what Jesus said, we will embrace this. I'm going to have to pick up the pace. Verse 26, it says that he looked for the reward. So, He knew that God was going to reward him. They were going to deliver from Egypt. They were going to have a land. And eventually that he would please the Lord. Moses engaged in a thoughtful intellectual process. And this is what's um, under in verse 7. The word esteeming means to engage in an intellectual process. He engaged in a thoughtful intellectual process that decided to face disgrace and insult was better than forfeiting the reward of pleasing his God. That's the same conclusion that all of us should be making. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly and my what is with me? Does anybody know? My what? Reward. Well, I'm not into rewards. Jesus is. As a matter of fact, Jesus is into your reward. Have you ever bought a gift for somebody that you are so excited to give them that you can't wait until their birthday or Christmas or whatever that event is? And it's like, they don't know, but you know, and you cannot contain it. And you're like, here, I want you to open it. It's like, it's not my birthday. I'll wait for me. No, no, no. Just please open it. Because you're so filled with excitement. Jesus says, hey, I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me. He is excited about the reward he's going to give you. And we should be excited about the reward he wants to give us. Forgiveness of sin, we walk in that now. But in that day when he returns, eternal life, a quantity of life. This is a short temporary life, but eternal life and a blessed life, the quality of life. It's not just that the eternity is a long life. It's a long blessed life. It's a long full life living in the inheritance and the rewards that God has determined to give every believer. That should excite our hearts. So faith looks to the reward. Faith fears God. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He didn't fear the king he could see. He feared the king he couldn't see. He respected the one with whom to who he would give an eternal account, a final accounting of his life. Jesus picked up on this truth and taught about it in Matthew 10, 28. 
Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Be afraid of the one who can take your body and your soul and send them to the hellfire. There is a place for us to have fear and reverence and awe and, and even a trepidation before this God Almighty. We need to have a healthy fear. Yes, reverence, but also a fear that would say, I will not choose to live like that because I don't want to give an account to this eternal one. And Moses was able to make that decision. Those who follow the Lord and obey his scriptures, you're going to run into the wrath of this world or even the disapproval of this world. I probably should say the disapproval of this world or even the wrath. Faith, the belief system, instructs us on who to esteem and who to please. Your faith instructs you, your belief system, on who to please and, and what you should esteem. Again, this is true even outside of matters of religion. In business, if a hard decision has to be made by a, an employer, a, a boss, a supervisor, an owner of a company... Um, he knows that when I make this or she makes this decision, it's going to make this group of people happy. It's going to make that group of people sad. They've got to make a decision. How, what do you do? Well, wh what, is the, wh what are the goals of the company? And what is it that you want to accomplish? What are the protocols of the company? What are the procedures of the company? That belief system is going to inform them on what decision they should make. The other side of that is the who. Who is telling us to make this decision? So if it's the upper management is saying you must make this decision, and here are the reasons why, because here are our goals, here's our agenda, here's our mission, these are the things we want to accomplish, then that belief system and esteem for the person who's told you will lead you to make the hard decision. So this is true even outside of the Christian faith. I ran into this recently. As a matter of fact, on, on the way home from... Uh, the little town in New Mexico, I mean, the, listen, the, the airport was as big, about as big as that stage. I mean, it wasn't much bigger. And I figured, little airport, tiny little thing. We flew into it. We knew what it looked like. I thought, I'm not checking bags. I'll get there 35 minutes early. That should be plenty just to walk in. Wrong answer. Um, you had to be there 45 minutes early. And there was four of us that all showed up thinking the same exact thing. And they said, um, we can't do anything for you. It's like, you're, nobody's, everybody's sitting in this room. Nobody's even getting on the plane. All the workers are out there sitting around talking and laughing. I mean, can, can we please, can't do that. Sorry, it's closed. This is the procedure. This is a protocol. They feared their boss. They followed what they had been told. They didn't care what I had to say. They didn't care what the other people had to say. And they were saying a lot. And they were, they were losing their minds. And I, I immediately called customer service. I said, I'm here at the airport. I got here 35 minutes. You're too late. They didn't even, that was all they said. You are too late. I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't say it on the ticket. Well, it's on our website. I said, I don't go and read everybody's website. You know, it's like, it's not even here. It doesn't say that. It says arrive in enough time. Well, you didn't arrive in enough time. Can I do anything else for you? Can I get, I mean, can I get booked on the next flight? No, you forfeited your ticket. I ended up having to buy $600 a new ticket. These were believers in their procedures, their protocols, and whoever had told them, it didn't matter what I had to say, it didn't matter what these other people were saying, no matter how much we were pleading, they weren't budging. They were going to please the company policy. 
I left a Google review. <laughs> but um, that's about all I could do. I figure 600 bucks, I'm gonna write. So, um, so you know, that we, we deal with that in life. And, and this is it, faith that fears God that says, I know what he wants. And I know who he is. And I'm gonna fear him and I don't care what anybody else has to say. Verses 28 and 29, faith looks for salvation. This is by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he, be, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So back in Egypt, they're still in slavery, and God is sending the last plague upon the land of, of Egypt to persuade them to let the Israelites go and to be free. And it was a plague that was going to bring death upon the firstborn in all the house. So if you had a firstborn and your house did not have the blood of the lamb, this is the Passover, the sprinkling of blood on the doorpost and the lintel, then every firstborn in that house would die. And this broke Egypt. But the Israelites experienced no death because they had put the blood of the lamb. Now we know in the New Testament that Jesus is our Passover lamb and that his blood if we will embrace that sacrifice of him, will be sprinkled upon us and we will not experience eternal death. Moses and the Israelites believed this and they slaughtered all of those animals in worship and obedience to the Lord that they might have a covering. And it's the only way that they could be saved from that death plague. And Jesus, more significantly, is the only way that people can be saved today. So faith looks for salvation, and it looks for salvation in the blood of the Lamb. Acts 4, 11 and 12, I'll read from the New Living Translation, says, Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. When you call upon God, when you are gaining entrance into heaven, there's only one name that will give you access into heaven, and that's the name of Jesus. You either embrace him, mankind either embraces him and receives him, and that blood of the lamb is put over their life, and they are forgiven of their sin and receive that righteousness of God, or they are rejected. Now, the world bristles at this. They get angry at this idea. Oh, the narrowness of that faith and that tradition. But you want to know who says that? These are people who don't believe that religion has any value at all. They are secularists. They're pluralists. They believe that, that all religions are equally useless. So let's just embrace all of them. This is a person who doesn't believe in any of them, telling us that what we believe in is not true. They, they believe that religion's the problem of the world. So if all religions are equal and they all have a, a way to get to God, then this will solve the, the peace problem in the world. Well, it's a thought. It's a wrong thought, but it's a thought that's very common. Jesus is the only way. It's only in him. There's one God who's made his creation, mankind, and he has redeemed him through Jesus Christ. No other way. The last thing we see about faith is in verse 29, and that is faith delivers us from our enemies. Of course, for Moses and the Israelites, that enemy was the Egyptian army. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas Egyptians attempting 
to do so were drowned. So they finally leave after the Passover. They get out of the land. They travel a little bit out into the wilderness and they're keeping watch. The Egyptians are keeping watch on them and they go into this, what would seem like a, like a valley or a gorge. They got mountains to the left and the right and the Red Sea's in front of them and Egypt is behind them. And they decide to start pursuing them like we've got them cornered. We're gonna bring them back. Well, um, once they are about to, the Egyptians are about to come and seize them, the Lord's pillar of fire comes and stops them and holds them off. And meanwhile, the sea parts all night long. They walk across on dry ground. When they get to the other side, the Egyptian army pursues them into this uh, parted sea and the waters close and the Egyptian army is wiped out. And this is... The faith, when, when, when uh, Moses says, God, what do I do? Left and right, or mountains, see in front of me, Egypt behind me, he says, just hold your staff out. Just hold your staff out. He had faith to do that. I mean, c- can you find, would you find your logical side kicking in at this point at all? I've got, I, you know, I've got this problem, Lord, you know, this, is, this army, and I got all this. Okay, no problem, just hold your stick up. You always just hold my stick up. Now listen, this stick, this staff had done some pretty, got to use that as a tool to do some pretty amazing things. So he had a little bit of history with it. But it's like, hold up the stick. Yeah, hold that up. And it's going to bring you deliverance. And indeed, they were delivered. And they were delivered from their enemy. You have and I have and mankind has an enemy of the soul. And his name is the devil, Satan. 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is not interested in you having a good time at the next party. He is not interested in you being satisfied in that illicit relationship. He is not interested in you finding financial security by being dishonest. That is not his plan. None of those things are his plan. He's not interested in you getting that next good job. What he's interested in is devouring you. But he will come and he will offer something that will seem like it has benefit for you. And that's where our faith needs to kick in and say, wait, this is passing. And I'm not going to make a short-term decision to experience a long-term problem of being um, outside of the will of God. The tools of our enemy is sin and death. He lures us into sin, which produces death. Jesus died on the cross to take away sin and the effect of sin, which is death, and he gives us eternal life. When you die or I die or Jesus comes back for us, whichever happens first, we don't have to worry about Satan having one last shot at us. You know, can you imagine if you die, say, well, you're going to die, and hopefully when you die, you know, Satan won't do X, Y, and Z and it might pull you out of, the, out of, keep you from going. That's not gonna happen. I have complete confidence that if my life was to end now, that I would be in the presence of the Lord. I am not concerned about that enemy because Jesus defeated that enemy at the cross. Satan was defeated. Satan's goal is to bring mankind to the place where he rejects God because it would seem that when God revealed his plan to create man and make him a special object of his favor, that's when Satan rebelled wanting to be the special object of favor. And he rebelled and so he's put all of his efforts 
since creation of man, of trying to show God that he made a wrong decision in creating mankind, that mankind won't follow him. And his goal is not, it's not you. He's trying to tell God he made a foolish mistake by creating mankind. And God has restored man to a rightful place with him through his son, Jesus. But you've got to come through Jesus. And if you haven't done that, I pray you'll do that right now. Let's pray together. Father, increase our faith. We've come, we've sang songs that are from your scriptures. We've just studied your scriptures. We've pondered this, this man and the different events that happened around his life that speak to us. And your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you will increase our faith. I just want us to be in attitude of prayer right now. Maybe you need to pray right now. Because when sin comes, you're a sucker for it every time it comes. You need faith to deny the passing pleasure of sin. Ask God to give you faith. Maybe you've not been esteeming the word of God or the one who gave us the word. You've been esteeming everybody else around you. Every other philosophy, every other person. Maybe it's the suffering. You don't have faith to stand in difficulty. The Lord will give you faith. Just ask him. If there's one thing that God likes to give his people, it's increased faith. He loves to do that. Give him faith that those commandments that you're struggling to obey, say, God, give me faith to believe that by obeying them, it will not only be the right decision, but it will be the best decision. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Lord, we ask for you to increase faith. Maybe what you need faith for is to embrace the calling of God upon your life. He's leading you down a new path. Ask him to increase your faith.